all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy, where the doctor is always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at UMMC. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning as we talk about the health issues that affect you most. That's right. You have plenty of time this hour to call in with those health items that have been on your mind, maybe all week, maybe longer than that. Maybe it's a medication that you don't understand. Maybe it's something that the doctor said that you didn't quite have enough time to discuss. You can reach us this morning, and we'll try to answer your questions by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning and welcome to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Hope everybody's having a great fall morning. Nice and chilly out there. I had to wear a jacket in the studio this morning and uh, enjoying that. I hope you are too. We did way too much this weekend when it got a little bit cooler and overdid it as usual this time of year. I hope you are uh, having fun and doing whatever you need to do and doing it without sweating so much in the South. We are here today taking your calls and emails for the hour about any kind of health issue that is concerning you. That's right. You can call in with anything, whether it's medication uh, concerns, maybe it's a new medication, medication interactions. uh, Maybe it's uh, something that you hadn't quite got around to telling your physician. You can get some free advice today, whether you're young or whether you're old or whether it's for somebody else. Uh, You can give us a call this morning at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. You know, prevention is uh, something that gets under-emphasized uh, a lot of times in the medical field, but in, it can be incredibly important. Years ago, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life uh, in the medical field, uh, I chose an area that largely... Um, uh, emphasizes primary and secondary prevention. Now, the distinguishing things about that primary prevention is you're perfectly healthy and you're trying to prevent uh, certain medical conditions or complications from medical conditions from happening. The secondary prevention is you already have some risk. Let's say you have diabetes, hypertension, and you want to prevent something else like a heart attack or a stroke. But both of those uh, are very important. Now, secondary prevention is extremely important in our society. And one of the things that we want to try to catch earlier is lung cancer. Now, we all know that uh, for years, uh, you know, smoking uh, has made a huge impact in this area. So if you do smoke, particularly if you smoke heavily and for long periods of time, then that could put you at risk for significant risk for having lung cancer. The problem is, in the past, we uh, relied on uh, testing only if you had symptoms. In other words, if you were coughing up blood, which would be an extreme thing, if you were short of breath, uh, something that was different, a cough that wouldn't go away, All those things sort of prompted us to look further, particularly with a CT scan, which is one of the main 
tests that are used to uh, identify people who have lung cancer. Well, now, actually since 2013, there is a low-dose CT scan. Uh, it gives uh, utilizes a little bit less radiation than a normal CT scan. For people who are heavy smokers, now, when I say heavy smokers, that means you you've, have a 30-pack-year history, and that sounds like some kind of complex equation. But basically, you take how many packs a day that you've smoked times how many years that you've smoked. And that's how you get that number. So, for instance, if you smoked one pack a day for 30 years, that would be the 30-pack year history. If you smoked two packs a day for 15 years, that would be 30. So if you smoked at least that amount of time and you are still smoking or you quit within the past 15 years and you're between ages 55 and 80, a low-dose CT scan has been shown to catch those early, uh, early cancers at a point where uh, if it's a certain type of lung cancer, they could potentially treat you earlier and have a better outcome. So that's something to talk with your physician about. I know there's a lot of insurance uh, out there that does not cover this or covers only part of it. Uh, it is, you know, it's not that expensive, but it is a, a pretty big uh uh, hit to your wallet if you if your insurance is not going to do that. But if it buys you 15, 20 years of life with early uh, catching these cancers early and treating them appropriately, it's worth it. But if you smoke, talk to your physician about that. Now, if you've quit for more than 15 years, then uh, you're good. Or, or if you're over 81 years of age, then that's that doesn't really apply to you. But if you're between 55 and 80 years of age and you're a heavy smoker, again, 30-pack year history or more, and you, uh, you're currently smoking or have quit within 15 years, then you might, be, uh, you might be a candidate for that. This is Southern Remedy. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Terry in Madison. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate the information that you give out. Uh, I like to listen to this station. Sure. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment about hepatitis C. Yeah. Um, I had hepatitis C, and I no longer have it. Uh, I I probably contracted it around uh, age 16, 15, 16, or 17, somewhere around there, um, and had it for many years, and... Uh, was afraid really for about treatment and uh and then recently in the last couple of years you've seen these commercials about carboni and uh it curing hep c well uh my doctor convinced me to go in for treatment and uh got a biopsy and all that and and uh went in for treatment on uh 12 weeks ago and just finished uh, my treatment, and uh, I'm fully uh, cured of Hep C. There's no sign of Hep C in my my blood at all. Terry, that's uh, that's what, that's awesome. That's really good. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's it, and it's not. It, you know, it's one pill a day. Yep. Uh, three twenty-eight pill prescriptions. Uh, and one of the things that I was really worried about is the cost of the drug. I had heard that it was uh, upwards of $100,000 for, you know, the full 12-week treatment. And and that is true. That's the actual cost of the drug. But uh, the company that makes Harmony will give you a coupon if you qualify. And there's some conditions if you, if you don't... Uh, I don't remember all of them, but I think one is if you're not uh, working for the government or you don't have government-funded insurance, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and there are a couple others. But I qualified, and and they gave me a coupon, so my prescription cost $5 each time. So wow. it cost me $15 instead of 115000 I believe. Yeah, so that's, would, quite, would that's quite a difference. <laughs> yeah. 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 No side effects at all, and so it was a great experience to me. Yeah, that's and that's important. I'm glad you, you brought this up because there's a lot of people out there that actually they may not even know that they have hepatitis C, and it's worth mentioning that if you're a baby boomer, if you were born between 45 and 65, 1945 to 1965, 
they recommend that you get a hepatitis C uh, blood test to see if you if you have this. It's just a one time. You don't have to get it yearly or anything. But if you were uh, born between those time periods, they recommend doing that. And then if you are positive, uh, as Terry mentioned, there's a lot of good therapies out there. The, the group of these medications are uh, direct-acting uh, antivirals. So there are things that, that directly uh, target the hepatitis C virus. So this is a virus that can cause this. It can cause uh, liver disease. It can cause liver cancer, which is the, the biggest worry about that. Uh, one of the major um, contributors to cirrhosis in our society uh, but it is now, thankfully, treatable. And this is something even, you know, since my training in the 90s, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of things out there that could treat hepatitis C, and they were horrendous in side effects. Uh, Harvoni that you mentioned, which is a combination of two of these uh, antiretroviral medications, that's the most common one. Terry outlined very nicely, you know, some of the advantages to working with the, the manufacturers in different uh, ways to pay for that and to getting your copay down to a point where you, you don't have to, you know, break the bank to do that. It's usually about 12 weeks, as Terry said, and uh, it is extremely successful. I can't quote you the direct rates, but, you know, most people have a very good uh, experience with it, don't have any or minimal side effects, and uh, they're cured of hepatitis C. So uh, take that, if you, if, particularly if you know that you have hep C, talk to your doctor about that. They're, the people who usually do this, are uh, either infectious disease specialists or GI doctors, gastroenterologists. And both of them sometimes work together in clinics to do that. I know at UMC we have a clinic that's like that. Um, but it's, uh, you know, talk to your doctor about getting, first of all, screened. If you don't know you have it, if you do know you have it, get to the people who can help you. Even if you don't, if it's not something that you can do, it's worthwhile just just exploring. So thanks, Terry, for sharing that with us. All right. Uh this is Southern Remedy. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not able to call us this morning, you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Got something on type two diabetes in the news coming up. But first, we're going to take this break and allow you to have some time to call in this morning. This is Southern Remedy. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's one 672 7464 or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Good morning, I'm Dr. Jimmy, and you're listening to Southern Remedy, the program where you can call in with any type of medical question that you have about yourself or somebody else. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Great weather out there. Can't wait to uh, for the day to end already. And it's not even noon yet. But uh, can't wait to do some more stuff around the house. And uh, just love it this time of year. All right. Let's go to Gary in Biloxi. Good morning, Gary. Hey, good morning. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I was wondering what your general thoughts on metformin was. Uh, is as a treatment for diabetes? 
Yes. Yeah, so metformin is a it's an older medication, so it works to um, in it's used mainly for diabetes. It's used for a couple of other medical conditions that uh, that have diabetes as sort of a complication. But basically, what it does is it works on your liver to uh, to inhibit the amount of of glucose or blood sugar that it produces, and then it also works in the muscles of the body to help uh, sort of suck all that glucose out of the bloodstream. Uh, and and push it into the muscles. So it is uh, the first line medication, oral medication for type two diabetes. Now this is where you don't, uh, you know, type one diabetes is where you don't have enough insulin to control your your glucose. Uh, that's a hormone that the body uses to control glucose. Uh, in type two diabetes, you've got plenty of insulin. It's just that your body doesn't utilize it enough to get the blood sugar down. So it's insulin resistance, resistance to that insulin that you have. Metformin, first line uh, medication to treat that. It does have some side effects, particularly when you start it, of a little bit of nausea or GI upset. Some people get some diarrhea with that as well. It Usually those things go away by taking it with food. Uh, it's usually a twice-a-day medication, although there is an extended release. Um, but it's really the first line agent and you can get your biggest bang for your buck. If you look at all of the, of the drugs that are out there from metformin, uh, there are some contraindications. So if you have kidney disease, you're probably not going to be taking metformin, uh, or if you have those complications from it, but Gary, it's, it's safe. Uh, it is useful to, to treat type two diabetes and, um, it can be used in conjunction with other medications too. Uh, there's some other medications that have, you know, both have been around for a long time and some of the newer ones, there are some combinations that metformin is made with, and then you can take insulin with taking metformin. Are you currently taking it? Yes. Yeah. Any problem? It has been for, uh, God, uh, going on, uh, six years. Yeah. Yeah. It's older medication. And, And that's the thing. If you, are, are you pretty well controlled on it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I'm, uh, I rarely, uh, when I check my blood sugar, go have you know go over two hundred, and I, and I pretty much uh, I know what I am going to go over two hundred. You know, it's diet related. Sure. Uh, <laughs> excuse me, but uh, I have a friend of mine that just started metformin this year. Um, I mean, uh, what are some of the the things that I should look for uh, on my own for my own uh, reasoning uh, uh, when maybe I should thinking be thinking that maybe metformin is not doing it. For me, uh, besides just uh, my blood sugar count, what are the things I should be um, kind of looking for? The, the maybe say, say when I talk to my doctor, saying, you know, hey, uh, maybe metformin is not really doing it for me. So, so if it's not working, you mentioned that, like if your A one C, which is that three month average of your blood sugar, if that's going up, you know, it may be time, not necessarily to, to jump ship on the metformin, but maybe to adjust, you know, for taking a new medication or or even insulin at that point, um, is, you know, some of the side effects, uh, it's unlikely if you've been on it that long that you're really going to have some of those other uh, gastrointestinal side effects. And then your physician is probably checking at least once a year your kidney function. So that's a, a blood test that looks at a, a, a two numbers, looks at a, a lot of different things, but basically the BUN and creatinine. And if your creatinine gets up to a point that, you know, he thinks this may not be a good medication for you to take, at that point they should be saying, hey, you, you probably don't need to take it. But I've had people, you know, that have been on for 15-plus years. People have taken metformin for more than 20 years and done just fine on it. So it works well. It's not something that you grow out of or you get used to or your body adjusts to it. Uh, it keeps working the way it the way it does. Now, Certainly, there's there's those other things that are out there. This is a common misconception, too. There's certainly a ton of new di- diabetic medications, but all of them have been, uh, have been studied either singly or head-to-head with metformin, and metformin still does a really good job. So they're not, you're not going to gain anything necessarily of switching to some of the newer medications besides increased price. Uh, but it's still the the go to the first medication I always go to for a type two diabetic uh, orally is is metformin. And interestingly enough, you mentioned you know you know if you're gonna if your blood sugar is gonna go higher if you eat certain things. 
you know, and that's sort of listening to your body and, and seeing what, uh, how you respond to that. And most people, if they pay attention to it, they'll know that. Sometimes it doesn't, though. Sometimes it'll go up and down for no reason. Exercise is extremely important. So if you go on the American Diabetic Association's website, they have some recommendations both to treat uh, diabetes in conjunction or alone, uh, in conjunction with medication or alone, with uh, exercise, they have some recommendations on there. And most of the time you have to do something to get your heart rate up to a moderate level, uh, like fast, brisk walking would be the simplest thing uh, for most people for about 45 minutes to an hour, four to five days a week. I have had a few patients that were able to come off their medication by doing that. So a lot of people will ask me, hey, will I ever get off this medication uh, that's one of the things that you can do. Now, again, you may be doing that and it's still, you know, high. Some, everybody's different on that. Everybody's a little bit different in how they respond. Uh, but that's one way that uh, years ago it was studied in the New England, New England Journal of Medicine head-to-head with metformin, exercise versus metformin. And exercise actually won out on that study. Now, you had to continue to do that. Once your blood sugars come down, it doesn't mean you have to, you can stop the medication or stop exercising. You have to continue it. One last question. Sure. Very short. If you, uh, when, in your opinion, uh, what's the benefits of uh, going with uh, sugar-free um, uh, products versus uh, no sugar added? So, so the problem with diabetes is, you know, we used to have these diabetic diets, and they were labeled that way. And if you went to the hospital and you were a diabetic, you got a, a diabetic diet that had a number of calories that were uh, you know, depending on how much you weigh and whether you're male or female that you were assigned to. We we know now you can actually uh, treat your diabetes and live with it very well with a number of dietary modifications. So sugar is a carbohydrate, um, and the more you eat of it, the the harder it is as a diabetic, as a patient who has diabetes, it's harder for your body to digest that and to metabolize that, to get it where it needs to go. You have to have it. It is one of the major forms of energy that our body utilizes. But it, the more you eat of it, you're going to sort of overload the system. So a lot of fine processed sugar type foods that, uh, you know, fast foods, cookies, those kinds of things, chips, uh, they have a lot of carbohydrates in it. A lot of people still count carbs. Um, you know, that's more so goes along with type 1 diabetes to try to predict how much insulin you're going to need and to adjust that. But that's a that's a pretty decent way to control type 2 diabetes. But honestly, you could just eat a, a well-balanced diet with a lot of fiber in it, a lot of fruits and vegetables, um, and you would be just fine as long as it's fairly consistent. Can you eat a cookie every once in a while or a piece of cake if you're a diabetic? Absolutely. I mean, I tell my patients that all the time. Uh, that's not That doesn't mean you know that you can't ever have that. Um, if you wanted to switch to sugar-free or sugar substitutes, that's fine. That's less of those carbohydrates going in. And you know, a lot of things have, if you take sweet tea, a large sweet tea from your favorite uh, fast food place uh, or, or, you know, restaurant, that's going to have in the South, we love it, but it's going to have a ton of sugar. We're talking like, like gazoodles of teaspoons. I don't know how much that is, but that's a lot. So uh, you, you just, you just got to be careful about it. Well, thank you very much. All right, Gary, thanks for calling. Interestingly, this is one thing I was going to talk about. Oh, let me give you the number to call right quick since we have an open board right now. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. I had a patient that, um, that contacted me recently through our electronic medical record and said, you know, can I come off of some of these diabetic medications? I've had diabetes for years. I'm in my mid-50s. What are my chances of doing that? And can I do it by different things? So one of the things that they mentioned in the email was fasting. And uh, this is very interesting. There was a small study recently published in the, the British Medical Journal uh, case reports. So case reports usually are like three or four people in them or maybe up to 12. It's really small numbers. So you you have to be careful with these extrapolating them to the rest of the population. But they looked at three men who were between the ages of 40 and 67, 
and they tried occasional fasting for approximately 10 months. So they would fast for several days on end, uh, and they were um, all of the men, all three, were able to stop insulin treatment within a month after starting the intermittent fasting. Um, They don't go into much detail about this. There were some variations about that. And they, the, what they, here's the thing you have to be careful about. They, they were saying that they were cured of their diabetes. Well, that's not necessarily true. They're still being treated for it. So diabetes, you really have to think of it the same way you would cancer uh, or another chronic disease that like hypertension. You may be treating it. You may be in remission, so to speak, if we're treating it with diet or fasting or exercise. And those things are important. Uh, and apparently for some people, fasting may be the way to go on treating that. Or, But I would always, always talk to your physician about that to see if it's, number one, safe for you. Certainly if you're on insulin, there can be a whole lot of problems with that that you know you need to know about that. You need to know how to stop or decrease your insulin level if you're going to try one of those things. But, um, but it's something to talk with your physician about. Uh, so it's not reversing it, not curing it, but more... Uh, in remission, um, and you, but you still need to screen for complications. That's the other thing. If you've been a diabetic at any point and you're controlled with things other than medication, you still need this, the eye screening, the foot screening, uh, because you can still have those complications even though your blood sugar is normal. So we just try to be careful about that and make sure people understand that. This is Southern Remedy, and I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can uh, call me this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Tim in South Haven. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. Thanks for calling. How are you? Good. I got a question. I have diabetes, and I'm uh-huh. taking uh, Victosa and Jardian, and it seems to be working great. What you have any? Yes, but, on that. yeah, both of those are good. So they're fairly new drugs, and they have to do with uh, the different hormone levels other than insulin. So although they do affect insulin levels, so both of those uh, uh, can be very useful. They can get your A one C down in combination anywhere from three to four points. So they're mm-hmm. they're more used. Number one, I would check and say, what's your insurance? Uh, if a patient you know approached me about this, because. The, there are some some in you do have to sort of navigate that. That's the physician's sort of role. We have a team approach in our clinic about doing that, so we have some pharmacists at our disposal uh, that uh, that look into it. But uh, both of those medications are the Victoza and uh, uh, Jardia. Was it Jardia or Jardavance? Jardiana, I think. Jardianance, I think, what it is. Yeah, so that's the combination with the, with the metformin in it, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it's been working great. I've been on it for like a year, and it's been yeah. awesome. Yeah, and that's the thing. If you th- if you think about this from if you are attacking, say, a city, let's say you're you know you're an army and you're attacking a city, you can attack one gate, okay, and you might do pretty well in holding back those forces for coming out that out of that city. But after a while, they're going to go out the back gates or two or three. If you can hit that city from the different, you know, from different places at the same time, you can contain it. Same thing with diabetes. A lot of times if you hit one part of it, like the metformin uh, pathway that we talked about that works on the liver and the muscles, and then we hit it another way with some of the ways that insulin is secreted or insulin-like hormones are secreted uh, with those other medications then you can be very successful. So a combination is good. You can sometimes use lower doses of the other ones if you use a combination and lower your side effects that you might have. But that's a good combination. It's a common one. Have a few patients on that. Thank you, man. All right. Thanks for calling, Tim. Bye-bye. A lot of people don't understand, like, the, I think most people in the state of Mississippi understand just how common diabetes is, but type 2 diabetes, uh, you know, for a lot of people in our state, you're talking about 15, 20%, even in some areas or more. Uh, different groups of people are affected differently by it. African Americans certainly have more diabetes than than white patients do. Uh, um, Native Americans and Asians also have higher rates of type 2 diabetes. So everybody's affected a little bit differently. Um, It seems unfair 
when patients come in to see me and they're like, you know, I've done everything that I can. I have one patient in particular, and she has done a remarkable job treating her diabetes uh, with diet and exercise and still, you know, still has to take medication. It can be incredibly frustrating, but everybody's a little different. Everybody has a different genetics that you're born with, uh, just like weight. You know, a lot of people struggle with weight. Some people don't struggle with weight their whole life. If you really look at what they eat, some people are just hang on to those calories a little bit more. Um, so certainly you need to keep that in mind when you're treating people or if you're going to somebody, uh, you know, and, and find something that works for you, whether that's medications you can afford or a regimen that has the fewest side effects. Or, you know, when we talk about physical activity and diet, you really got to work with somebody to see exactly what works. And um, that's that's extremely important. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can reach us this morning with your health concerns. Maybe it's not diabetes. Maybe something else that you're thinking about. Maybe it's that uh, grandparent that may be on a medication, maybe having some sleep problems or uh, behavioral differences in them lately. You want to ask a question about that. Maybe it's that uh, child of yours that may be having some problems, particularly this time of year with cough, cold. You want to know what's safe to give them when you need to take them to the doctor. You can reach us this morning at one 1- 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Ah, okay, we have a question here. So uh, what does fasting mean when taking when talking about diabetes. Uh, so that's a great question. I just assumed that, and that's that's a problem with physicians. We just assume, you know, all kinds of stuff. Fasting basically means going without food. So, uh, you know, people define it differently. Some people fast for personal reasons, for religious reasons, uh, but basically it's doing without food. Usually you would drink water when you do that, so you wouldn't do without that. Some people have modified fast where they eat only certain foods, or they may go six to eight hours where they don't eat and then eat at the end of the day. Most of the time when people talk about fasting, it'll be for multiple days at a time. It is usually not recommended to fast for health reasons more than about two or three days at a time, just because at that point your body's going to be breaking down some of the, the substances it needs, like muscle, uh, to uh, to start to make some fuel that it needs to, to run everything. Uh, but that's what we mean by fasting. So basically, go, do them without food for a certain length of time, and it can be anywhere from hours uh, to days, just depending upon the regimen uh, that you're doing. And a lot of people have different ways of doing that. I've, I've some patients that even before they develop certain medical conditions, they had a regimen of doing fasting uh, for years, uh, you know, once a month, twice a month, maybe, uh, that was just part of their daily routine. So this is not something new. This is Southern Remedy. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we've got a couple of callers who are patiently waiting for us and plenty of room on the board for your call. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's one 672 7464 or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy, and you're listening to the program where we answer all of your health care questions. At least we try to. try to do that on a regular basis. You can reach us this morning at one 672 or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Just saying welcome back. Saw some welcome back Cotter episodes. Man, I love that show. It was cheesy. Get to see Vinny Barbarino, young John Travolta in his prime doing stuff. It was a funny show. So catch it on your TV station. Free plug for you. There we go. All right, let's go to Doris in Memphis. Good morning, Doris. Hello, Dr. Jenny. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Thanks for calling. Uh, yes, I have a question of uh, metaplasia. Uh-huh. Uh, intestinal metaplasia. The yes. doctor find out that I have a metaplasia. Now, was, uh, was that on a colonoscopy that you had done? Uh, he did a biopsy on my stomach, but my tummy was hurting, and I was having a... Uh, it was burning sensation, kept me, kept me from sleeping. Or if I eat, my tummy just blow up and everything. So he went to my stomach and took a biopsy. Gotcha. I think he found inside my stomach also gastritis. Also, he found a lift, I can't say that, L-I-P-I-D-S. So three things, I'm really, really scared. Um, I really don't know how to deal with the metaplasia. You say it's not a, a full cancer, yes, it's a pre-cancer. Right. So so that's you, you just defined it very well. So metaplasia is a pathologic term uh, that uh, pathologists use to describe cells that are sort of precancerous would be a good term for it, uh, a lay term. Now, this doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to turn in cancer. It just means that your, your risk is higher and that you need to figure out why they're like that. So in your case, you know, why are these cells, uh, you know, uh, in that precancerous state and what do we need to do to reverse that? In the stomach, uh, we ha- all have acid in our st- stomach, hydrochloric acid that the stomach produces to break down foods. There can be certain things that go wrong with that. Your stomach normally has a a protective lining that helps to protect it from those acids. If that lining breaks down because of stress, because of medications that you're taking, uh, alcohol, smoking, lots of different things that can do it, some some medications, uh, then you can be at risk for those cells to be continually stimulated uh, are exposed to that uh, hydrochloric acid, and they can change over time. It can change those cells uh, into metaplasia and then cancer. So uh, there may be other reasons for that as well. Uh, I think you're probably what the next step is that you find out what all of your risk for that are. So that's that's the real question you want to ask your physician. What are my risks that that cause me to develop this metaplasia? And then what can I do to change some of those risks? So that would be the well, next. Go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Yes, I did. I went for more tests. I went for uh, H. pylori test to make sure there's no virus there. Um, you know, but he said there's nothing he can do about it. Also, my... Um, my gallbladder with that, so I, I'm planning to go take that out. Right. I think I'm, I'm, I'm on that stress, and also uh, there are some medication I was taking for my my upper back. My back is hurting, which is any any anti-inflammatory medicine I can't take. They just cause gastritis. Right. That. So, um, but now I'm just trying to look for a way to reverse this and many pleasures. How do I reverse? He's telling me there's nothing. I just had to watch it. For me, it looked like a death sentence. Why do I want to watch something, but I, I want to find how I can reverse it? He's telling me there's nothing he can do about it. Yeah, I think the things that you outlined would be things that you've already probably done. Uh, so some of the tests that he did, like the H. pylori, which is a bacteria that can, can interfere with that lining of the stomach, he's looked for that. So that's that's something that you can sort of cross off the list. Avoiding those medications, like you said, the anti-inflammatories, a healthy lifestyle of, you know, watching what you eat and exercise can certainly lower those anxiety levels over time. You may need to even treat the anxiety with different ways. Uh, So it's not necessarily doing nothing or, or a death sentence. 
I mean, you have to look at everything you can modify. And if you once you've done that, then surveillance where they'll they'll probably recommend a schedule where, you know, every certain period of time, whether that's a year or six months to go back down and and look and see if anything's changed so that they can catch things that have potentially turned into cancer early. Um, but those are the main things that, that I would be looking at to do. And if, you know, if you look at everything and there's not anything else to do, uh, then surveillance is really the, the, the only thing that we can do right now. Oh, my God. I mean, he said that by, I don't know, by law, I can't call me two years to look at it again. I right, know. right. But, and I was just thinking, looking, I, I went online to find out what can I do. I know I exercise. Yeah. You know, I do yoga, I do all these things. I don't take any pain medicine anymore. I deal with the pain, but that's not really helping because I'm still dealing with pain. Right. Because I can't take anything for it because my stomach doesn't allow me to take anything. Right. Um, so I, I would just call it to see if, if you know any uh, herb medicine that you can recommend. You know, I'm, I'm taking probiotic and I'm... I'm taking a, a digestive enzyme, you know, to digest my food. I really don't know what else. Uh, yeah, you, you, it sounds like you're doing everything that you could you could possibly do. So I, you know, I, I, Doris, I wouldn't get too worried about it, okay? Because worrying about it can cause more stress, which can cause more problems in your stomach. So, I mean, that's easy to say, but uh, and I know it's it's concerning you, but it sounds like you're doing everything that you need to do. I'm not aware of any herbs that necessarily do that. Um, you know, certainly there are some out there that that have that. Uh, that marketing that that they can decrease stress or or that they can build up the layer of the stomach, but not a whole lot of studies that support that. A lot of people will use things like ginger, chamomile, uh, and others to uh, you know to take to to do that. Certainly, that wouldn't hurt anything. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're on you're you're moving in the right direction though of of doing everything you need to do. Well, okay, I just wanted to know if you have any anything suggested. I mean, I do tamarind, ginger, and I'm taking a whole lot of vitamins. I don't really know what to do. I don't drink anymore. And, I mean, even before I drink, like, a glass of wine or so, but that is not enough to call a metaplasia. But I stop all of that together. Well, it, it depends. It depends. You know, a lot of people say, well, that's not enough. It depends on the person. So if you did that in the past and not doing it now, this might reverse over time. And okay, even what happens if, if it doesn't re- if it never reverses? I mean, I'm I'm praying. You, ho- you could you could spend away. the le- the rest of your life having this on repeated biopsies. So you know it's it could stay there and never turn into cancer. Uh, at the at the very least, you just want to watch it. All right, okay, Doris, I, and I'm sorry I can't give you more, but that's that's about all we have for that right now. So uh, I think you're on the right track, though, of that, that that surveillance is the best thing. Let's go to uh, John, who has a question about metformin, I believe. Good morning, John. Hey, yeah, uh, uh, Jimmy. I am uh, I'm 83 years old. Uh huh. I was weighing 207 pounds. I was on a thousand or five hundred BID uh, metformin. Uh huh. I went to Weight Watchers, began to lose weight. I was cut to five hundred milligrams a day, and then I had low blood sugar. I mean, I, I did a check, and my my blood sugar was like. 67. Uh-huh. So I was taking off metformin. Um, so I'm not taking anything for diabetes. What has my body done? So did you lose weight over that time period, John? Yeah, I'm down to about 160. Yeah. That's probably the 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 biggest change that you that you made that uh that allowed your body to to metabolize or use that that uh, glucose, the blood sugar. That's the most common thing we see and it's not uncommon when you lose that amount of weight over time 
that you get to a point where your body's able to keep up with it. We know that obesity, that weight gain, is one of the major risk factors for developing type 2 diabetes, along with other, other things like hypertension and, and, uh, and um, disorders of cholesterol. But particularly for diabetes, if you lose weight, you've got a better chance of getting off some of those medications or maybe even off all of them completely. So I, I think that's the thing that happened. And that's, that's that insulin resistance going down. Okay. I have one other question for you. Sure. Real quickly. I was told at my last physical that I no longer needed to have um, colonoscopies. How old are you? 83. Yeah. Uh, the last four colonoscopies I've had, uh, I've had polyps removed. Uh, should I not be concerned about that? Yeah, and that's for screening. Obviously, if you had a problem, like you had blood in your stool or anything like that, you, you would get the colonoscopy. But that's correct. So if even if you've had a few polyps uh, that that's not recommended over age about 80, to get a repeat colonoscopy just because the evidence doesn't support that that's going to catch anything soon enough. Um, now, you might, you know, your physician might be able to to squeeze some more colonoscopies out of that depending on what you had in the past, but that's the reason for it. That At, at, at a certain age, we're unlikely to catch things in time to treat that you wouldn't have, you know, have died of other causes. Now, a lot of people living to be a hundred. So, I mean, you've got a lot of years. You know, seventeen years. If you let's say you live to be a hundred, and that's a long time. But for the general population and for screening, that's why they have those age cutoffs because it's unlikely to catch that uh, over a certain age. Okay, great. Thank you much. All right. Thanks for calling, John. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. I'd like to ask you if you've heard about this new disease with children it's very rare but i saw this report on television about it it's it's like it's polio symptoms and uh, yep. it's called acute flaccid myelitis and they showed an mri of a child's spine with it and it, the whole spinal cord was inflamed and and uh but it has all symptoms of polio right but polio was was you know has been gone for like 50 years i think yeah this this isn't this isn't caught caused the, the, the children had all symptoms of polio right so and it's and it's yeah I, I'm aware of that it's actually it was uh, originally described back in 2014 um, so th- they had similar symptoms then this recent outbreak this year though there's been several hundred children so far uh, that have been affected if you go back to, to 2014 this year. Uh, a little over 60. We actually have one confirmed case in Jackson at UMC that was uh, that was diagnosed about a week ago. Uh, that's uh, uh, but it's it is uh, caused by a virus. So this recent one is caused by a virus called an enterovirus. Enteroviruses are viruses that can cause some GI uh, symptoms. So uh, nausea, diarrhea, maybe some vomiting, or but mainly the the diarrheal illness. So you may see those symptoms at first. And what is happening with these is, as best we can understand, is that the body is, you know, polio directly um, infected the nerves themselves and caused some problems with it. These, we're not really sure exactly what's going on, but it may be that they're directly infecting the nerves, but it's much more likely that your immune system in fighting this off is causing the problems with the, with the uh, flaccid paralysis. Um, it, it can be varied, so you can have some kids that have it in one part of the body and not the other. It is extremely uh, something that you need to take serious. If they can't do it, they need to be evaluated. There's not much we can do to, to reverse the process, the infection of the virus itself. There's not really anything we can do to treat that, but we can help support them with that paralysis. And don't really know a whole lot about what's going to happen long term, like what's going to you know, they're going to regain some of that, um, some of that motor function. Uh, but a lot of research right now, in fact, you know, the CDC is collecting a lot of different information when they have these cases to study it and to see what the long-term effects are going to be. So that's what we know so far, Sue. Okay, thanks. All right, thanks for calling. Let's go to Debbie in Mobile. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, 
I just had a wellness visit, and after the blood test, they called me and said, well, your potassium is a little high. You might want to cut back on the bananas, etc. And one, I don't eat bananas, but um, I do. when I looked up the foods that I do eat with potassium, they were what I thought were healthy foods, avocados, fruit yogurt, butternut squash. And so I guess my question is, because I really don't want to cut out any of those, um, is there any danger in having the potassium a little bit higher than the range? Do you remember, do you know what that uh, that actual number was on the potassium? No, I'm in the car right now. I want to say if the range was up to 4.9, for instance, mine might have been 5.3. Yeah. I, you know, I have a lot of patients that are running in the in the fives like that, between five and five and a half. Probably okay. Um, I don't tell them to change anything any different. As long as your kidneys are working appropriately, the amount of potassium that you take in, potassium is an important electrolyte uh, uh, or a mineral that your your body needs for, for normal functioning of cells. So it has to be within a certain range. Too little of it in your bloodstream can cause problems. Too much of it can cause problems. Um, now, those ranges are just that. I mean, a lot of people can be outside the range, whether that's a little low or a little high. Much more common for people to be a little bit in the higher end of that. Um, as long as your kidneys are working fine, because they're the organs that get rid of excess potassium, um, then most of the time that level, if it's say five to five and a half, it really doesn't matter too much. So I don't bat an eye on that myself. Your physician may have you know different levels of comfort with that. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it's probably okay with natural sources. Everybody says, Hey, cut out bananas and everything. If you look at how much potassium is actually in a banana compared to what your body takes in and the total potassium in your body, a banana, medium sized banana has about one milli equivalent of potassium per inch. So if you have a banana that's 10 inches long, big old banana, uh, that's medium, that's only going to have about 10 milliequivalents. Potassium supplementation starts at that level. So even if you ate a couple of bananas a day, it's really not a whole lot that your body's having to deal with uh, to filter that out. So I would keep eating healthy, Debbie, and just recheck it, you know, maybe in a couple of months, just see if your physician can recheck it. If it's the same level, I wouldn't really worried about it too much. Usually you don't have problems with potassium unless it gets up around the 6 to 7 range on those blood tests. And that's when you start to have some, you know, problems with your heart and those kinds of things. But in the 5 range, that's that's probably okay. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. Sounds like drinking water, extra water. Yeah, that, and that's true, too. As long as you can get your, you know, your kidneys enough, uh, enough for, sort of uh, prime the pump, so to speak, with them, uh, then that's that's useful with with getting stuff to move through there. But uh, okay. But eat healthy, man. You're making me hungry, Debbie, with all those foods. That sounds really good. All right. Thank you for calling. Bye bye. Yeah. Sometimes we get uh, as physicians, we get a little bit in trouble. We start advocating doing different things, and all of a sudden, you look at what somebody's eating, and they're not eating anything healthy. So there are some instances when they may want to change that. You know, if the potassium's pretty high and you've got kidney dysfunction, but uh, most cases, just sticking to a healthy diet is going to be okay for as long as you don't have any other problems. I want to thank all of our callers this morning. Uh, this has been Southern Remedy, which is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, which is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. Our call screener was Kevin. Uh, you can join us next week at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.